This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is your host, Emily, and I have a guest with us who wants to remain anonymous. So we're actually going to skip intros for this episode, and um, I'm just going to turn it over to our guest and kind of just open the floor for you to start sharing whatever it is that you want, however you want, and um, in in a way that makes the most sense to you. Okay, (laughs) yeah. So um, my thoughts all this morning were kind of me reflecting like and being amazed how where I am right now how I got here never what I thought I would get to this point of actually working on myself um and having more of an understanding um to the awareness and the connections in my life and sharing my story um I've shared it um with the community before on campus when I was a student Um, but that's when I was kind of in like autopilot, like surviving. I put all of my efforts and energy into activism and advocating and working in a Title IX office where I wasn't taking care of myself. And I thought if I could help others, then that would magically heal me. And obviously that is not (laughs) the best when it's, I'm letting it consume me without healing at all. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard a lot of survivors like want, want to help other survivors, you know, and I totally, I think that's a really natural part of the process for it to like come full circle and want to do something with the experience. And, um, and also I appreciate that perspective of like, well, I hadn't actually (laughs) created any safety for myself before just like diving headfirst into that work. Yeah. Um, I don't know where else <laughs> I'm like my mind is just all over the place I the past couple of weeks um since I don't work with my counselor anymore she closed her practice due to health reasons so I just I know <laughs> I thought I'd be with her forever because it's only been like one to two years of like each time I have a counselor from like switching to like a private practice or retiring so <laughs> I'm kind of in that spot again like am I going to meet and work with someone where I can go over everything long term because we did a lot in a year with EMDR and we were getting to the very last topic and she had to close but still letting myself kind of feel everything and make sure I'm in a pretty good spot before just jumping into the new referral I don't know if that's right, but yeah, it's a, well, it's like a big transition period and that can be really overwhelming. You're like, oh my God, do I have to explain everything all over again to a brand new person? And I mean, therapy, therapy relationships are, I mean, they're a relationship They're It's with another human. They take time and they, 
it takes time to like build trust and understanding understanding with someone and that's all well and good but i totally understand being like whoa what now this is a yeah it's a it's a lot yeah like i feel good because i'm in the spot like years ago as a student um i would have thought like journaling and deep breathing and like breathing exercises were like the cheesiest thing in the whole world but now like I'll just write something quick in my phone, like a reflection or a thought if something happens. And I have that like Instagram journal page that has helped a lot because I feel like sharing it with myself is like one thing and then I'm constantly looking at it. But if I can post and other people see it, that's that's where it lives. And it's not something I just have to carry with me every day. You're like putting it somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, those like tangible rituals can be really, um, really important. And I think like story sharing for yourself, like you were saying, is like awesome. Um, and you can obviously like learn a lot of of new insights about your experience and feelings, but also like um, like saying it out loud to another human being or putting it out, you know, somewhere in where others can see it is like this other yeah, it's, it's just like, it's like doing something with it and like getting it outside of you instead of like being trapped inside you. Yeah. And cause I'm really bad at like saying things for the first time, like in person and like writing and typing things out and like sharing my story that way is so like, there's that barrier, you know, between you and the computer and the text, it just feels like a safety net. So it helps so much. Yeah. So you were saying that you kind of like um, were sharing, you had shared like within your own campus community before. Yeah. um, My first name was listed on this like um, artwork. It was an exhibit through Take Back the Night. And so my first name was on it because you can stay as anonymous if you want to. And so that was up for the month. There were like tours for the gallery. Um, Most students that I've worked with like knew part of my story but not all of it. And I don't know, cause that was a good five years ago. So now like, again, reflecting like how, like the language I use in the story and like what little I still didn't know yet and all the connections and like what was healthy, what wasn't healthy and like learning those, I don't like to use the word normal, but like what a healthy like household looks like and not really connecting that that's where a lot of the trauma and, you know, I don't know, like stemmed from. Yeah. I mean, it's a very common theme, I think, to for for survivors to have like multiple traumas, especially that start in childhood. And then it sort of like sets you up for other things to happen in the future, especially if those things aren't addressed, which they often aren't because um, families are complicated and our society and culture are not really designed to do that kind of educating or awareness and things are changing thankfully but um yeah but it's a slow it's a slow change and there are still a lot of people who are like you know i i had no idea i think back to the situations that i ended up in in high school and college and it wasn't even until i started working in a domestic violence shelter in my mid-20s where i was like holy crap yeah. what <laughs> that wasn't okay mm-hmm. oh man mm-hmm. um yeah but you don't know you don't know yeah because this past year was the first time I did brain spotting or EMDR so as we're going through what our 
first session right before we did it, we came up with like a list of topics that I've been holding on to like more mild ones to get started and then, you know, working our way up to the more severe. And it wasn't until we were talking about um, working on my assault case from a number of years ago that like everything, every single topic led back to my childhood and my dad. And I just like couldn't comprehend that because I saw um, all these like traumatic events as separate, like pre like adult or college and then like post like my years as a student. But they're so more like much more connected than I ever could have thought. And it was only through EMDR that all of that came out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if all of our traumas just existed in their own perfect little (laughs) box um, that you could like sort through very methodically and Mm -hmm. like do something with one at a time in a very ordered manner. But that's not how trauma really works. It it all blurs together. And that's why like triggers and things can be so tricky is because it's like you're trying to tease out like what is causing reactions? Is it, you know, it it can be both. It can be multiple things. It can be one thing. It's, yeah, that's really tough. So I hear that your story kind of begins like back as a kid. Do you mind talking at all about sort of what that looked like for you? Yeah, um, that's the thing that I've been, (laughs) we left off with my counselor. Yeah. Um, But I've been sharing more and more as things come up. But um, yeah, I was a parent or a child of a two single parent households. Um, We moved around a lot with our mom. So then we stayed primarily with my dad during the weekday. So we wouldn't have to switch schools, but they divorced by the time I was three. And then I think it was finalized a year later, but because of that split. And I think just, I don't know if that's how our family was already. We were just not open. Like if I was ever upset or sad or frustrated, I would like go off and be by myself. So I never really had that understanding or comfort from my family. And I still don't really have, you know, very close, like if good things happen, I'll tell them, but otherwise I don't really share anything. They don't know anything. Yeah. They don't know anything that I'm going to be talking about today. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So you were like conditioned from an early age to like keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I thought like the conditions of like my dad's house specifically, like my mom, we had way less money. She's a single mom working as much as she could, had three kids and we never felt, or I never felt like we were like very low income or like that there were so many like monetary issues that I'm like still just learning about. But like my mom always made us feel like safe and we were in a good place. And then my dad had like more money. He had this house that was paid off already because I've lived there forever. And yet it was like the dirtiest and like just spoiled food, moldy food, all of all in the house. And then obviously like things got worse by high school, but just like the conditions of the house and how my dad treated, well, me, I'm not sure if my sister has any memory of this or if it was just me that was targeted more, but we don't talk about it. And I just started like talking about it in general. My counselor was the only person to know in the past year. So it's a lot to just kind of process still. Yeah. Yeah. And very brave of you to like be on this very, um, I mean, we're not recording live or anything, but yeah. yeah. 
for it to go out into the world. That's very cool. Yeah. So I'm almost in my thirties, but um, yeah, the past year, like living in that house, you know, for 18 years. And then now like that I've been out of it for a while is when I started to notice like, that's not normal or like, that's like not healthy or okay. If you look at that childhood, like abuse, like pie, like easily, like three of them, maybe four of them could apply. And I never thought about that. I just thought that everyone has their home, like own home experience. And while that's true, it doesn't mean that like parents can neglect their children in many ways. Right. But when you're in it and you're a child, like your job as a child is to be a child and to be taken care of, you know, and um, it's like it's not our job as children to understand the complexities of what it means to be abused. You know, um, it's like it's up to the adults, the parents, the, the people who are supposed to be protecting and nurturing to like, un- you know, understand what the dynamics are. And so, um, yeah, it's like hindsight 2020 when you start coming into your adulthood and can look back with an adult perspective. But as a kid, we, these things just get normalized. We're like, this is just the way it is. Yeah. And now like, I don't know, now that I like finally like shared things with my counselor and now like all of those memory, I call memory flashes because like the memory or like the thought will just pop out of my head. But a lot of the time I don't feel super triggered or taken back that moment. They're like things I do remember but I haven't thought about in years like I know they exist but but they were so like packed and hidden in there and they like only the thought comes up and like nothing else so it's just very bizarre to me yeah and when you say nothing else you mean like big emotions with it you're just kind of remembering yeah Mm -hmm. it's just like a memory flash and I like don't know how to like feel about it or like they just pop out at random times, like nothing really triggers them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. So I don't know if like, for many other like events or triggers that happen, like I'm not like physically like transported where I feel, you know, like the out of body and I'm feeling it all over again, but I feel like the emotions and like, if something happened in high school, it'll like take me back to like, I don't know, like I was labeled as like angsty or like feeling really restless and like the partying type of mode. And then I just feel like I'm not in that moment exactly of the incident, but just like that moment in time for myself. And it's very, I don't know, it just feels so bizarre and nothing I experienced until this past year. And I don't know if other (laughs) people feel that, but I imagine I'm not the only one, but I imagine that's correct. Yeah. It's different for everybody. I mean, there are common themes, like you're talking about flashbacks or memories with emotion, but I think like remembering things without emotion is also absolutely like a part of how it can look and important to talk about. It's like, you don't have to have, it doesn't always have to be like a big emotional event just for things to still keep bubbling up. If you're comfortable sharing, like, did that relationship with your dad look like? Gosh, like, even now, like, the relationship looks, I don't know, looking back, because it's like, you can remember the really good things about someone, but still simultaneously feel and remember 
all the neglect and the bad things. And there was a guest, I think it was last season. I don't want to be incorrect, but um, they said, like, I don't wish something very bad to happen to my dad, but I kind of wish he just, like, didn't exist at all. Like, Yeah. And I, that, like, stuck with me. I'm paraphrasing, but um, so I felt so guilty. Like, I, I don't know. It would be just so much easier if my dad just, like, didn't exist in general. Like, not wishing anything ill on him, but because our relationship is so just weird. He'll text me after a couple months, ask to go to dinner, and then I get all worked up. And then it's that cycle every couple months again. Like, Ever since I moved to college, well, one, he bought a new truck and a new boat, (laughs) even though our house was a disaster. And I basically ate a can of cream corn or like rice when he'd be gone for days and not (laughs) answer my calls. But so that was just ridiculous. And now he always wants to get dinner and he's so interested and it's just like a total 180. So like right now it's just overwhelming to try and think about working on our relationship when I just don't want to deal with it at all it would just be so much easier than holding on to all this and then I don't know coming out with it like would I ever have a chance to do I open up after he's gone like what that would even look like because it's just so stressful yeah just like totally overwhelming and easier if it just wasn't what if you didn't have to deal with it at all Or to be able to deal with it on your own terms. And I think like when the other person is still around and involved in your life, it's hard to do that because you have to negotiate the terms with the other human. And it's like, oh, could be easier if there was just no negotiation necessary. Yeah, because I was telling my counselor, like, I'll work myself up through these dinners and then usually they end up okay. But then like at the end, I just have this like emotional and mental like, burnout where I don't want to do anything because my body just feels and my mind feels so conflicted you know about everything (laughs) I don't know like I don't know he says he supports me he congratulates me when something happens like he's my biological dad but like I don't know there is like no healthy relationship or relationship at all so I don't even know what that's supposed to look like knowing like all the things that happened at home. I don't know. (laughs) I still don't know what like healthy parenting looks like. And I don't know. That just stemmed off into like, how do you have healthy relationships with friends? Like, how would I even create those boundaries and say no? Or I don't know, say no to dinner or like, I don't want to go spend like Thanksgiving with you or something. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. And what if he would question that more? Like, I feel like I can't even set those boundaries without something coming up. And I'm not ready for that at all. Right. Like if you were to assert those boundaries, there might be a like, what is this about? And then like having to open that can of worms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And families are so complicated because they're, we're like conditioned to believe that we like it's an obligatory relationship like that we have to have relationships with our family just because they are are, like our immediate or biological family and that's um really confusing one and two I think like you were mentioning like it 
that spills over into friendships and relationships. It's like, if you're not learning those relationship skills, you know, when you're younger, um, you know, you're setting yourself up for other dynamics to happen in the future. Yeah. And that, (laughs) yeah, I feel like I haven't because of that, but I didn't realize that they were connected just like my behaviors and like lack of boundaries and just kind of letting people do what they wanted to me all through high school because he'd be gone for days right and like never knew when he's coming back so I used that alone time to just party because like I don't know like rebel against my dad like you're not here so I'm gonna break all the rules and invite all these people over and then like let whatever happen happen which is like not great like at first it just seemed like a really good, <laughs> to me, a really good coping mechanism. Um, but then, yeah, it just, like, wasn't fun anymore. The more I, like, got harmed or groomed by, like, other people and not having those, like you said, communication skills taught to me because no one was there. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then, I, obviously, I didn't tell anyone what was happening at home. So, like, no one else really knew what I needed. Cause I didn't know what to ask for. <laughs> and like good or not good, I think is a moot point. I think like when I hear people explain like how they ended up in those situations or behaving, you know, like acting out in that way or coping in that way. I'm like, I don't know. It makes sense to me. I mean, we can talk about, is this like helpful or harmful? Is it serving me or not serving me? But good or bad is like a moral thing. And I think sometimes it's not about that. It's like, yeah, it makes a hundred percent sense how and why that was something you were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to reframe it so much. <laughs> like, because, like, our whole lives were conditioned to, like, I don't know, we're so judged on the choices we make when we're not trauma-informed. But then it's, like, I did what I needed to to get through those moments. Like, blacking out, you know, from drinking or using is not... Okay, for me, it's not a healthy <laughs> thing to do or sustainable thing to do. But like, that's all I could do at 15 with like nobody home, like no support resources at school, um, just like nobody knowing what's going on. And because um, I, yeah, again, I didn't know what to ask for and like what I even needed. Um, so yeah, and then passing those along to college, like I, my GPA went from like 3.2 and then another semester would be like 2.0 and like looking at my transcript through just undergrad alone. Um, I can basically point to each semester and remember what was going on. And that sucks. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's like a little like look back in time. Yeah. And it's like every, like all of my trauma and everything that has happened is like there in my transcript. And like, it's a, physical like visible thing not that I like look at it anymore but for jobs and stuff just like I don't know it's just something I don't know it's just something solid and not much else is besides what just swirls around in my brain so and we put a lot of like weight on academia as being like an indicator of someone's intelligence or worthiness or goodness, you know what I mean? And it's like uh, so few people understand 
that trauma informed lens of like, oh, what what was going on with for that person at that time? It a lot of times it's like, oh, they just weren't trying hard enough or they're dumb or they they're a partier and they just don't care. And it's like, you know, no. Um, that's very, 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 very rarely the case. And it sucks to have that like reminder that is so infused with like judgment and shame externally, you know? And I think then we internalize that that like those mentalities around judgment about ourselves like we turn it on ourselves and it's like I can be trauma-informed for someone else but when it comes to my own shit it's like I suck mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like in that realm like because in high school I like was so good at staying under the radar like I was a high honor student my like senior year got a 4.0 but that's when I was like drinking and using the most, the most alone at home. Um, A lot of mental health issues arise that like were not properly taken care of, but I still like went kind of under the radar besides, you know, like a guidance counselor on my ass and all that stuff. But but family and friend wise, like I just felt like two separate people. And I think I felt like that for a long time. The half of me without that holds you know, all the trauma, all the like restlessness and partying, like was just a totally separate person than like the super involved one, the like high honor student. And in college, I tried to be that like academic, you know, genius again. And I thought I could balance it all, but then, you know, more assaults and more trauma pop up and I just, I don't know, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Mm Mm-mm. It's interesting, too, that, like, as long as you were getting a 4.0, no one was going to, like, ask if you were okay. <laughs> yeah, because I still, like, what um, I saw more in college than I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but in undergrad, like, dealing with all of it was just being more involved, taking on more credits, you know, joining another organization, and, like, people could see that I wasn't doing good, and I did, you know, receive counseling and stuff, but I think it was just for me more than like external things that I was just, I don't know. I didn't want people to see me fail. And like, I couldn't like live up to what my peers were doing and how well they were doing in classes. I don't know. I just didn't feel like enough. And that really brought me back to my childhood too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, like I'm the whole here, experience sort of like mirroring. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Except for like the only expectations that were put on me in college were like from myself everyone's like you're in college you're doing good like you know just keep trying but then you know as a child it's all the expectations were like I don't know I don't know if my dad even had expectations he was not not really around but I don't know yeah just like that mix of internal and external pressure and expectations I didn't know how to balance so I just created all the highest ones for myself and just like barely made it through. But. Yeah. Was there ever a turning point in college or did it really like come after college? Um, yeah, that followed to probably grad school. Um, that's when I first um, got a lot more help. Um, I went through, that was my first time going through like trauma therapy Um she, we worked together for a year and then she switched practices. That was a whole different counselor. In so grad school? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I went to, I had support group. Um, I had a trauma counselor. Um, I finally got sober before my last semester. Um, I've broken um, my sobriety since then um, in not great ways, but well, not great for myself. I'm judging and labeling <laughs> like we talked about. I before. like that catch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. So where do you feel like some of, some more of that like healing kind of came in? So you're in grad school, you've, you're finally like getting some good counseling and like, where did things go from there? Um, so I started working full time, like a semester after graduating grad school. And, um, I don't know now that I like had insurance that actually covered stuff besides like state insurance that you have to pay all these, like, it's ridiculous, like, waiting lists and everything. But with this insurance, I finally, like, went back to a doctor, like, got back on medication. Um, she diagnosed me with bipolar, which <laughs> in high school, for like, when I was in counseling, um, they did diagnose me with that, but then later, like, recanted, saying, like, all of my behaviors were from, like, teenage angst and not like mental illness and trauma so they like recanted those just that I had anxiety um but this counselor finally figured out like you know along with the trauma like their CPSD like bipolar 2 I still you know frequently panic <laughs> about a lot of things um but it wasn't until like you know having the right medications did things seem more clear and I didn't feel like I was in crisis mode every single day because my feelings were so extreme and I like couldn't take a breath I couldn't think like there was no balance or stability until having those right medications and then I could finally start working on myself yeah I think that's a really important step and like something to remember is like when you're in crisis like there is no room for self-work. You're in survival mode, you know? Um, and like people will be like, let's do a body scan. It's like, no, <laughs> or like, you know, or like, Oh, let's talk about your feelings. It's like, I can't talk about my feelings. I'm freaking out. You know, like, I think sometimes if you can like, call, like get, like you were saying, like, you know, get to a place of better balance, then all of a sudden there's more space to actually talk about you know, the trauma and the feelings and the, and the stuff that's underneath. But in the meantime, like safety is like number one, two, three, four, five priority. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of like mind boggling to me that I'm like at that point, you know, for yeah. over like 20 some years, it's been like, no one could figure out what was happening. And I didn't know really what was happening, but I didn't have that care and safety I needed. And until now, and it's, you know, working through my whole life at one time and trying not to make it a race. Yeah. It's a lifelong process yeah, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, mm -hmm. oh. But sometimes I say it feels like sprinting a marathon. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I guess I, I would love to focus a little bit more on like now, like right now, because it sounds like you've sort of achieved at least some level of safety that you've never had before. And I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but yeah, what does now look like and feel like for you? Well, especially the past year, because I was diagnosed <laughs> with um, bipolar 2 and CPTSD um, and 
started working with my last counselor all within like the two weeks before quarantine and COVID and all the shutdowns. So that was, (laughs) so the past month has just been really, really, or the past year, but yeah, the past month alone has been very, I don't know, overwhelming, but also if I didn't have the privilege and opportunity of working from home, I don't know if I would have known how to set those boundaries with like taking off at like work after, you know, like leaving the office after my counseling to like, just be with myself. I think I got a lot of processing done in the past year that maybe I wouldn't have gotten, but I don't know. But lately the past few months I've been, I don't know, I felt very like weak and like, I really miss like the energy and like motivation and passion that I had doing like the advocacy work. And I don't know, I feel like I barely have the energy to like advocate for myself. And I just feel very like heavy with everything that I've worked through the past year. Like EMDR is obviously like no walk in the park, but um, (laughs) yeah. So like just taking all of that, you know, and just, it's just like with you and like, you know, you have the session, like mine are usually an hour, like you have the session, but then I'm, weighed down by it for a few days and then everything's on my mind until the next session like there's not really a break from it and now it's been yeah over a month since um my counselor closer practice and I've been like doing okay like writing more than usual because I don't have someone to just like (laughs) talk to about it but I don't know I feel like I'm in a lot better place than I have been and I'm like more aware and like conscious of like how I'm feeling and what it's from because you know in the past I was just so in survival mode where I didn't have a chance to like explore myself like mentally and emotionally I don't know so I'm in a very weird space with all of it (laughs) like a both and it's not always either or I think we like we love putting things in boxes and and speaking in like either or, but it can be both good and bad and both like healthy and difficult. And, you know, therapy is work. It's actual work. And it, it, it like, I think people, yeah, I don't know. They're like funny. There's some funny attitudes about like what healing and like therapy and, and the work, you know, quote unquote looks like. And it's like, well, it's not all like sunshine and rainbows. Like, it definitely brings stuff up and it doesn't mean that it isn't helping, but it can also be heavy at the same time. It's, it's all of the things. Yeah. Cause like I've learned, yeah, like I said before, like more about my emotions and feelings and like everything that happened. And like, I always feel the weight of it, but at the same time, like working through it, I just like have more of um, a sense of, just like overall identity like I kept myself in the closet for a long time like wouldn't even think about it um, because a lot of it was during like drinking I have very limited like sober experiences with anything Um, so just feeling like in a safe enough place where I can just really look at who I am and like be that whole authentic self and not being so in survival that I just have to mask everything with drinking or using or other like what I see is very unhealthy and unsustainable coping. 
So that's definitely been a big switch, but I don't think I would have been able to have that stability in my identity without, you know, working through all the trauma, even the, like the bittersweet, <laughs> like, yeah. Two sides of the same coin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability around your like unhealthy coping, unhealthy coping me- mechanisms with alcohol and using. And I think that's a lot more common of an experience than we would like to talk about, but it's easy to, um, again, shame and judge. And there's all sorts of narratives around being unworthy or bad. Um, but I think when people are just trying to survive and do the best that they can, um, it, again, it makes sense, at least to me. And I think for a lot of people as to why, and then like the honesty and self-accountability around that's not sustainable for me. And mm-hmm. I want to feel better, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Um, there was, that reminds me of one of my former trauma therapists. She made like a pie chart and I don't know if it was like in relation to like just my childhood or I think it's just like a lot of my behaviors or things that have happened. So I put like 90% me for the pie chart that I'm responsible for everything and 10% my dad. And we went through like, why do I blame myself so much or like put all that on me? when I was just trying to survive and like, because I said I made the choice to like drink or party or use all the time. And she's like, well, you felt like that's what you needed at the time. That's just one of the, your coping mechanisms, like not labeling is really healthy or unhealthy too, I guess, but like, that's what I needed. And like, not really not understanding that till my mid twenties. <laughs> so but yeah, that's just, I don't know always working on it yeah and it's so easy to get stuck in a shame spiral too it's like oh well you know I'm drinking or using I suck and then I keep doing it so I suck and it's like you know getting out of that like cyclical thinking about the shame cycle the shame spiral and and reframing it as like oh no this is what I felt like I needed to do in the moment to just get through the freaking moment because of like trauma and neglect and abuse and so um yeah. And then thinking about like, well, what do I actually want? You know, who do I actually like, ha- what other coping mechanisms can I explore? Like what do, you know, what serves me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still <laughs> like just trying to figure out what exactly works, you know, like journaling and writing things down, but like constantly exploring, like now I get to, like I'm in the space where I can explore all these different things and not just be in that cycle of like drinking, using, like using other people, you know, when we're drinking and I don't know, <laughs> like all the, it's just very, again, weird, like looking back and there is that shame of like all my experiences and like, things I've had to do or things I've done that I will never tell anyone else about. And it's a lot to hold it. Like I know people, people will judge, but I know like my support system really wouldn't, but I just don't want to think about myself that way anymore. Like I'm trying to like heal my like inner child and like embrace the self that needed to be loved. But also like, I don't know, just feel very sad about what I had to do. I think I'm more sad than ashamed at this point. (laughs) 
And having some like self-compassion, I think, um, I was just, I'd been recording a bunch of episodes recently for the podcast and, um, somebody was talking about how their counselor made them tell their own story and she was like recording it and then played it back to her. And she was like, my heart broke for that person, you know? And it's like easier to have, and she was like, then I realized that person was me. Like that's my voice and my story, you know? And like, you know, it's easier to be trauma informed and sell and show compassion to other people. And it can be really hard to do it to ourselves, Um, but you speaking to this piece of like sadness where it's like, wow, my heart kind of breaks for this person and what like she went through and, you know, my former self and like the pain and and what they were trying to do to get by. And I think as hard as like sadness, isn't always pleasant, but I think it can be a really healing emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that feels so raw right now because in college and my, one of my previous counselors, we worked through a lot of the like college assaults and my case and everything. So like, that was, I don't know, easier to like, I still feel sad, but I, that's where I feel the most like motivation to do stuff. And I feel a lot more stable when talking about those. And yeah, like the childhood and like thinking about me as a kid and like, you know, crying by myself in my room and like, I don't know, just not having that support. And like, I just get so sad, like thinking about like anyone that would ever like allow their child to feel so alone and not supported. And now when I'm with like my friends, kids, or, you know, children in general, I like tell them all the positive affirmations, like you are doing good. If they like mess up on homework and I'm like, it's okay, you're still learning and like reframing it like that, like everything that I ever wanted to hear. Like, I know that I can do that for others and it feels so good. But then you know, when they're going through something, I just feel so sad because that was me. And like, I can, I just like, remember all of my trauma stuff as they're going through something traumatic. And it's a lot to like, be an advocate and support them and have it be so raw and something new that I'm working on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And it's like triggering might not even be the right word. It's just sort of these like parallel, like you can see yourself in them. Yeah. It's these parallel experiences that are so juxtaposed that it's like, wow, how it's like hard not to think about what that meant for me um, while still also wanting to like do something different for somebody else and give them what I didn't have. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's the both and it's the all at the same time experiences, which are so confusing. Um, Yeah, I guess I I would love to ask too. I know, um, you know, like you're out of counseling now and you were talking about like breathing and writing. Are there other things that you sort of do ritualistically on like a daily basis that kind of help you move through some of this stuff? Yes and no. I feel like a lot of the things that have been working, I like just mindlessly kind of do now but yeah journaling um just taking like between meetings I'll take a break and use my like Fitbit mindfulness like breathing things because you can visualize the like circle going in and out um I try to just make social plans like with my support system like especially today I'm like I'm gonna be doing this big thing um I need someone to hang out with me and bring me a milkshake and then yes Yes. that's my (laughs) like comfort thing yes (laughs) I love it but just like things like that like I 
have like a wooded area next to my apartment. So like there's this one squirrel that's been hanging around. So like check in every day, just kind of like stare at my window. I've been really working hard to not dissociate as much. I feel like the past two months, um, you know, ending on not talking through everything, the violence and neglect from my dad and then having no counselor for right now. Like I've just been like subconsciously just going to dissociation and just like staring at a wall and like just feeling like nothing and how easy it was to do that. But then also recently realizing I did that a lot as a child, but just in different ways. And that part really hurts because I had been doing this for so long, didn't know what it was or where it came from. And just my like, I don't know, three, four, five-year-old self, just, I don't know, creating that for me. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's a lot to like think about all at once. And it ha- it's all happened, you know, so quickly in the past year. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic is interesting. I think like you had mentioned it, you're so many people have spent so much more time alone with themselves and that can be, I mean, it's a lot no matter what. And I think some folks have used that time to try and, um, yeah, better understand themselves and like face some of their own shit, but that comes, that's not always like pretty, and I think it can like it's also very like a very scary thing to have to do and, and very overwhelming. And especially if people were not used to like trying to do any of that work before, I think it like hit people like a ton of bricks in a lot of way. And we were seeing a ton of a ton of survivors reaching out, especially right at the beginning of the pandemic, where people were like, Oh my God, I'm not okay. And it's like, yeah, it's a weird time to have to just like yeah, be present with yourself and not have the same distractions that we normally would. Yeah, because I I had roommates last year, but then in this September, I moved into my very own solo apartment. So like pandemic plus living alone for the first time. It's like a lot. And just like thinking about um, when I moved here um, into this apartment, I had a lot of like the childhood reflection things, like being excited about a shower curtain that I like because the one at my dad's hadn't been replaced in years and I had to shower with the curtain open or I, my throat would close because I was very sick as a child from like mold and allergies and dust and you name it, (laughs) it was in our house. And just like that kind of thing, like I shouldn't be excited. I mean, shouldn't is, you know, not a great word to use either with talking about this, but being excited about a shower curtain or like, I don't know. It's like a basic thing. And then I just feel so sad that like that was a part of my right. story. And that you get to kind of rewrite it for yourself now. Like the excitement, it means that there's like a level of control that you have over your own environment and experience that you didn't get to have as a kid. So much of our experiences as children is out of our control because we're at the hands of our caretakers. And so now it's like, I get to be my own caretaker and buy a cute fucking shower curtain that's clean and shiny. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But it's the both and because again, it's a reminder that you didn't get to have that as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's, It's the yin and yang of it. Yeah. And like, surprisingly, like, I'm glad, like my diagnoses and like counseling has started, you know, in March. So I was, I had a stable, you know, support system and tools to like, transition into this stage, like I had a couple months of, you know, working on it. 
before. I was so terrified that like living alone, I would just go back to like blacking out and using every single day. Like I was afraid that if I felt like I was in a crisis, I didn't have someone, you know, at my house or my apartment already to like give a distraction or just know that they're there in case anything would happen. You know, just back to like, and I was a teenager, but this time it's like my choice to be alone. And it's not my dad leaving for days and days and not answering the phone. Like it's a whole other thing. But it's just, yeah, again, like seeing these like parallels, like so many parallels now. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even quote what the theories are, but there are so many interesting theories about how like our childhood patterns just play out often in these like uncompleted cycles over and over through our lives. And when we do get a certain level of awareness around them, we can start like changing the patterns or yeah, taking control of the narrative, like you're kind of doing with your own life, which is really cool. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is a lot. It is. But I just really, really, really appreciate like your vulnerability and like your openness with sharing all of this. It's I think it's really relatable. And I think will resonate with a lot of people. Um, Yeah, I mean, some of our episodes are more like, um, like oriented towards the exact like, you know, incidents that were happening. But I also think episodes like this are really important to deeply explore like what that interior life can feel like and what it feels, you know, how to handle it and, and the ups and downs of like managing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like, I thought like all my counseling or my trauma and mental illness stuff was from like my college assaults, like the singular incidents that happened and not realizing that my trauma and PTSD was, you know, also my whole childhood. And like, it wasn't just this one time thing that I was thinking of, like the more I worked through those, I realized, you know, that there were those connections that had to be made for me, but just thinking that everything was just a singular event, you work through it, like it just gets lighter or heavier depending on the day. But then all this stuff comes up and yeah, I just think that, yeah. It's like, damn, (laughs) there's so much more to talk about than I realized. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to take a little bit longer than I thought (laughs) to work through. Mm -hmm. Like it's not something I, I don't think it's anyone expects, you know, anything. There are no expectations or like timelines for this, but I don't know. Just thinking like this one, (laughs) Like this one assault during like the red zone time frame of college, like that's what started everything, you know, with academics and college and stuff and, you know, led to more drinking. But, um, but also like, I don't know, I thought all my behaviors were just from that, but then they were mirroring the stuff from high school and I had no idea. Yeah. Yay, therapy for helping us gain new <laughs> levels of awareness. Right. Yeah. And also being more sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's a yay and a nay. Yeah. The both end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you're comfortable, I'd love to kind of just start wrapping up. And what I usually do is just ask whoever is on the podcast to, like, share anything that you would want to, knowing that there are other survivors listening. So... What, what would you want to say to other survivors out there? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> like, I see you, like, even if nobody else does, even though, like, a lot 
of what is expected or people expect of like survivors or victims, like is not always like true. Like again, like you could be an honor student, so involved people like see this one part of you, but there's also like more of you and it's so easy to go under the radar. And I still think that especially school (laughs) system, um, my guidance counselor was just you know, more for like to prepare you for college and less of like, I don't know how to handle like teenage trauma, but that we need to really get better at that. Like if I had that support I needed sooner, like what would my life look like? But also that didn't happen. So I shouldn't just dwell on that either. Like I just need to take, you know, what I've got. But it's an important point, you know, and it's an important point to make. I think it's fine to say, Hey, yeah, we need to do better than this. And I'm getting help now. And that's great. But like in an ideal world, it would start so much sooner and there'd be so many more access points. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like no one way to be, I don't know, to have violence against you. Like with stuff, my dad, it was just like little, I don't want to label them as little either, but like things that didn't happen very often, like they'd be one slice of the pie, like some incidents, but I don't know, like they don't always look the same and there's not never the same relationship. And I don't know, like no one deserves that. Like you deserve, you know, access to like clean water, clean shower curtains, like not spoiled food or like one can of corn for dinner. Like everyone deserves more than that. And I don't know. It just hurts (laughs) that, you know, that exists, but I don't know. I don't really end things with like a happy ending because we know that's not (laughs) realistic but I also don't want to be you know too much of a downer I think (laughs) it's really powerful a powerful message to say I feel sad with you and sometimes that feels really good like I'm I'm my default like avoidance techniques are like humor but sometimes to just be able to say like, I'm sorry. And I'm, I see you and I'm sad with you and I'm sad for you. Like it feel that feels validating because that is sad and it does feel good to be seen and, and like validated that like sad things are sad. It's okay to be sad. And I'm here being sad with you and for you. That's like, yeah, I think that's okay. I think that's a totally acceptable way to end. Yeah, that's what I'll stick with as my thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, um, with that, I guess we'll just kind of end things. But I just want to say thanks again for being on the podcast. This was a really um, meaningful conversation for me. And I I think it'll resonate with a lot of folks. Awesome. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.